The Devil Wears Prada is easily one of my top five favorite movies of all time. What's not to love? The casting is perfection. We have Anne Hathaway, Emily Blunt, Stanley Tucci, and of course, the beautiful Meryl Streep. She is giving the performance of a lifetime as an Anna Winter-inspired editor-in-chief of the leading fashion magazine, Runway. In this movie, Andy, played by Anne Hathaway, is a writer looking to break into the journalism industry, which is surprising when she shows up for a job interview for an assistant position to Miranda Priestley, the editor-in-chief of Runway Magazine. Andy is definitely giving not-like-other-girl vibes. She's not fashionable. She knows nothing about runway, fashion, or this stuff. You know, I'm still learning about this stuff and... Uh... This stuff? Oh, okay. I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. And yet, she gets the job. Andy accepts knowing that if she lasts a year at this job, she can pretty much get a job anywhere. Miranda Priestley is the ultimate girl boss. She is the end-all be-all of all fashion. Nothing goes on in the fashion world without her approval, but pleasing her proves to be impossible. She never gives Andy the validation she desires. Andy goes above and beyond for her, working hard, flaking on her friends and boyfriend, eating, sleeping, and breathing her job. And she starts getting pretty good at it. But as Andy chases the validation of her boss, she starts to lose herself along the way, becoming more fashionable, confident, but also flaky, selfish, and self-absorbed. Finally, when Andy realizes that chasing the validation of her boss has changed her into a person that she does not like, she quits never receiving the validation she desired from Miranda Priestley. After some self-reflection, leaving the parts of herself that she didn't really like in the past, making amends with her old friends and life, she takes her newfound confidence and applies for an actual journalism job. Well, in this interview, they ask her about her short stint at Runway Magazine. The person interviewing her tells her that he called the magazine for a reference and he gets a personal fax from Miranda Priestley herself that says, Of all the assistants she's ever had, you were by far her biggest disappointment. And if I don't hire you, I am an idiot. Must have done something right. And that is it. After everything, after all the tears, after everything she went through, Andy finally receives the validation she needed from the Miranda Priestley, the ultimate validator. And with this validation, she is finally able to move forward with a stamp of approval from the end-all be-all herself. In John chapter 13, Jesus is spending his final moments with his disciples. They have been walking with him, watching him work, partaking in his ministry. And now Jesus takes these final moments to give them their ultimate validation and approval to move forward when Jesus says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet because he is completely clean and you are are clean. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Basic Bible Babe podcast. I'm your Basic Bible Babe, Brooke Ashley, and I'm not a theologian, but chances are you aren't either. But you don't have to be one to understand and fall in love with the Bible. So here, the goal is simple, to motivate each other to move past those things that stop us from reading the Bible and to become a people that understand and appreciate the Bible for what it is, incredible. 
So remember, the Word of God is for you and it's relevant to your life today. Let's dive in. Welcome to my basic Bible babes and bros. It's fall and you know what that means? It's the perfect time for cozy Bible reading. Make some quiet time, throw on a candle, grab a drink, whatever that may be. If it's coffee, Wawa, a Red Bull, grab some sweats, get cozy and get to reading. Start a Bible plan. Study one book at a time. Read one chapter at a time and study it. Truly ingest it. I asked you guys on Instagram if you guys had any tips you wanted to hear about at the top of episode and Willie G asked a good question. Thank you for your question, Willie. The question is, how do you take notes of what you read in the Bible? I love this question because I know that sometimes when people post their like Bible on Instagram and you see all of their notes that they take, it can be a little intimidating. And it's like, whoa, they take a lot of notes. Why does my Bible not look like that? Well, I can tell you what it takes to get your Bible to look like that and what it takes, because here's the thing, we're not doing it to make our Bible look like pretty, right? We're doing it because it means that we're studying and we're getting something out of our word. So I really just want to take this time to tell you how to truly get something out of your word when you're reading. I'm just going to start by saying this. The hungrier I am to read the Bible, the more I go in there excited and spiritually ready for my Bible time, the more I get out of my Bible time. So here's the main things that I write in my journal notes in my Bible. Number one is context. What is the context of this passage? Who's the writer? Why are they writing this? What was the cultural atmosphere that would have affected this passage? Number two, What is the Bible not saying with what they actually are saying? This means critical thinking. It means going deeper than what the Bible is actually physically saying. The Bible is constantly inferring things. A lot of times they tell us the actions and the words of characters. But what does this action tell me about the personality of the character, of the writer, When the Bible tells me that David fought the giant and the lion and the bear, what does this tell me about David's character? Think critically. Number three, how does this relate to me in the world that I am in today? I am a practical reader to my core. I believe that the Bible practically relates to me, that I should see myself in these characters, that I should use these stories to guide my life today. So that being said, how do I relate to this? Of course, I throw in a random amen and random words like preach it (laughs) to the author, I guess. I throw that in there too, but mostly that this is what I write down along with other stuff. But I think really, if you go in there hungry, ready to think critically, you're going to write something down in your Bible. Thank you for that question, Willie. If you guys have any other tips, anything about the book of John that you'd like to discuss, go ahead and just send me a DM on Instagram at the basic Bible babe. We are now at John chapter 13. In John chapter 12, we saw Mary wash the feet of Jesus, the triumphal entry, and Jesus's final addresses to the crowd. Now, 
Jesus and his disciples are sharing their final meal time together before his arrest. Jesus knows that his time is up. So what he's going to say in these final moments with the disciples is very, very important. We are getting a peek at these intimate final moments with the people that he loves the most in this world. The Bible says that he loved the people in the world and he loved them until his final breath. It pained him to leave them, but Jesus knew that his time had come. The Bible says that at this dinner, he's with all of the disciples. And at this dinner, the devil had already put it in Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. That means that Judas had already been inviting the devil into his thoughts because the devil cannot come into a guarded heart. The Bible says to guard your heart. And if your heart is guarded, the devil won't have access to you. But this means that Judas Iscariot had not been guarding his heart. It was not guarded. It was wicked. He was an unrepented, selfish thief. So the devil now had access to come and tempt him. Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him. But before Judas Iscariot leaves to betray him, Jesus does something really important. The Bible says that Jesus takes off his outer garments. He takes off his jacket. He ties a towel around his waist and he filled up a basin with water and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. He went down the line and washed the feet of every disciple, including Judas Iscariot who he knew was about to betray him. The savior of the universe, the king of kings, washed the feet of someone who was about to give him up to die. And I can't even be nice to someone who said that my hair looked ugly like one time a long time ago. This is the example that Jesus has set for us now on how to treat our enemies. This was a real enemy. The things that Jesus was dealing with with Judas was not like some trifle thing like, oh, they talked bad about me or they took a position for me that I wanted or they annoy me. This was a real enemy doing evil things and Jesus acts as a servant to him. How are we treating people who have wronged us, who have hurt us? We have to be better. We have to follow the example given to us by our humble Savior. And on the other side of this, I want to remind you that there is absolutely nothing that you can do in this world, even unto God, that he would ever be willing to stop serving you. I think sometimes we think very highly of ourselves and we think that we've done so much evil that there's no way that Jesus can still love us, can still serve us, can still want us to be a part of his kingdom. He does. He mourns the loss of Judas. He will mourn your loss if you choose to go. There is nothing that you can do that can get Jesus to not want to serve you, to not want you to be a part of his kingdom, even unto betrayal. Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples and he finally gets to Peter. And I love this chapter so much because I feel like we get to see a lot of Peter's personality in this chapter. Jesus comes to wash his feet and Peter says, you're going to wash my feet? But Jesus says, you don't get why I'm doing this right now, but later on you're going to get it. And then Peter says, you will never wash my feet. And like, I get it. 
I understand why Peter feels this way. Jesus is his Messiah. His Messiah is going to wash his feet. That would be like if the president of the United States came to clean your bathroom. It's like so beneath him, right? It doesn't make any sense. So Peter won't let Jesus do it. But if Jesus is telling us to do something, even if it doesn't make sense, we ought to listen because Jesus has a plan. And he tells Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. So Peter, who seems like the talkative one of the group, who says whatever's on his mind, which comes in handy with his ministry later, by the way, well, he exclaims, well, if that's the case, don't only wash my feet, but everywhere, wash my hands and even my head too. Peter's so funny. I love that. Well, With Jesus' response to this, we get the scripture from our intro, and it really struck me. Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet because their whole body is already clean, and you are clean. The spotless lamb, you guys, he who knew no sin, calls his disciples clean. That would be like Beyonce telling me that I'm a good singer. That would be like Tiger Woods telling my dad that he's a good golfer. That would be like Miranda Priestly telling Andy's new boss that he would be an idiot if he did not hire her. It is unprecedented. It does not make sense. And yet Jesus doesn't lie. He calls them clean and he means it. And you know what else is funny? Peter was not perfect. In fact, in a couple hours, Peter was going to deny the Lord three times. And Jesus knew this. Peter didn't like trick Jesus into thinking he was clean when he really wasn't. Jesus knew Peter's sin and he still called him clean. You do not have to be perfect to be affirmed by the Lord to be called clean. Sometimes we chase perfection and we chase down affirmation from the Lord, but I'm here to let you know that even with your imperfections, the Lord calls you clean. Cleanliness comes with a righteous heart. And the word righteousness can be scary to us, but I want to remind you what the Bible says about righteousness. The Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times, but gets up again. I think we start getting into unrighteous territory when we stop getting up from our sin, when we start justifying our sin, when we stop moving forward. This is exactly where Judas found himself, and this is what separated him from the other disciples. He justified his sin. He chose sin. He fell and never got back up. He was not righteous. He was not clean, and Jesus addresses this now. He says, you are clean, although not every one of you is clean. Because he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said that not everyone was clean. Jesus finishes washing their feet. And now he's going to explain to them why he did it. Jesus says, you call me a teacher and your Lord. And that's very right because that is exactly what I am. Now that you know that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also have to wash each other's feet. I have set for you the perfect example and you should do what I have done for you. If I've done it for you, you can do it for each other. 
None of you is greater than your master, is greater than me. So you should be able to do it too. And now that you know these things, if you do them, you're going to be blessed. This is some of Jesus's final moments on this earth. And he spends them in humble service and loving his disciples. So that's why this message is important to them. He knows how important humility, service, and love will be to the life of a disciple. And how does this relate to us? Humility, service, and love is how we should be operating, especially our leaders. If you are a leader, would you wash the feet of your enemy? of your assistant, of your lowliest employee or church member. Check this out. The Bible says that this is what will separate us from the Pharisees. This is what will keep us humble. When we think of the Pharisees, they were technically trying to do good on behalf of the church, but what got them wrong? They were obsessed with power. But if we walk in humility, service, and love, we can be separate from the Pharisees, from those who are doing it for evil things. This is how the world will know to find us when the true church is a servant. Jesus lets the men know that there is one disciple amongst them who will betray him. Jesus lets them know that he's about to once again, right now, fulfill prophecy. So keep your eyes perked, disciples. He's about to fulfill prophecy. The specific prophecy he is talking about is Isaiah 53, 1. And he quotes it. He who shared my bread has turned against me. And he's addressing Judas, but the other disciples don't know it yet. But Judas does. So Judas is looking at Jesus. So Jesus says to the disciples, I'm telling you all of this now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I say I am, that I am here to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah. The Bible says that Jesus's spirit was troubled. He was sad. He mourned the loss of Judas Iscariot. He loves Judas. He tells the disciples, One of you is going to betray me. So the disciples look at each other, wondering what Jesus means. But here's where we get the infamous, the disciple who Jesus loved line. Remember that from episode, I think it was two? John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, the disciple who Jesus loved was reclining next to Jesus. This is John. John was reclining next to Jesus, you know, just embracing all the time that he had with the Lord. And remember, Jesus just told them that somebody was going to betray him. So Peter is really bringing all the funnies today because he's like, psst, psst, John, ask him who he's talking about. Ask him who he's talking about. Who's going to betray him? (laughs) So John, still leaning back, asks Jesus, who is going to betray you, my Lord? And Jesus says, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus gave Judas a choice. Was he going to accept the bread and betray Jesus or was he going to choose Jesus? Well, Judas chose the bread. 
he chose betrayal. And as soon as he did, the devil was finally able to fully enter Judas based off of the choices that Judas made. The devil cannot enter you without your choices and without your decisions to betray Jesus, without your decision to let the devil enter you. Judas had a choice and he immediately left after he took the bread. When Judas left, Jesus looks at the remaining 11, the chosen ones, the ones who are going to execute his vision for the world after his physical body leaves. He says, my children, I'm only going to be with you a little longer. You're going to look for me. And just as I told all the other Jews, I'm going to tell you now where I am going. I'm so sorry, but you cannot come with me. And I'm going to give you another command. This is super important. Love one another just as I have loved you, just as I have displayed my love for you here on earth. The way that I have loved you, you must love one another. And when you love one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Remember, the way that we serve and love each other is what is going to separate us from the fakes, from the Pharisees, from the ones who really don't love Jesus, but who say they do. Have you ever had a like a family member die, like a patriarchal family member, like a grandparent or a parent, and then it seems like the family kind of falls apart, like all the cousins and all the brothers and sisters, they don't really talk as much as they did before because the patriarchal member who is gluing them all together, kind of, they, they're gone now. And so now they don't have that glue binding them together. This is what I think Jesus was trying to prevent from happening by telling them, you guys need to love each other. You guys need to serve one each other, even when I'm gone. That is what's going to keep you guys moving forward. And that's what's going to separate you from all the other ones, those who don't love each other. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later kind of implying, yeah, okay, we all know that they're going to die, but actually this is kind of more important because actually mostly all of them die a martyr's death and they all die for Jesus Christ. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Jesus didn't say this to be mean, but just kind of to open up his eyes. How funny are we sometimes? When I'm in my prayer time, when I'm with Jesus, I make lots of big promises to be bold for the Lord. And I still have a hard time telling someone, Jesus loves you. I am Peter. Sometimes it's hard to be bold for the Lord, especially when facing death. Yeah, Jesus tells them, you're going to deny me three times. And that is how the chapter ends. My camera died. The suggested reading for next week is John chapter 14. I invite you to follow me on the Basic Bible Babe Instagram. Please go ahead and send any tip requests or anything you think about the book of John, I would really appreciate that. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts 
and Spotify. I want to thank you guys for telling your friends about this podcast. Occasionally, I will see on the reviews that like you got suggested that some of my listeners got suggested this podcast by one of you guys, by an active listener. And I want to thank you guys for that. It truly makes me so happy to see that you not only like this podcast, but you think it worth sharing. I really want to thank you for that. So thank you for sharing this podcast. Thank you guys for being a part of this journey with me. Finally, I am inviting you to remember that Jesus is not a mean boss like Miranda Priestley. He loves you more than this whole entire world. He loves you so much that he died for you. He is perfect and holy and spotless. He is the end all be all. And yet he affirms you. He calls you clean.